1: Truly,
2: we're in a race
0: to make value work.
2: Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have Dr. Griffin Myers of Oak Street Health. Uh, Griffin's the co-founder and chief medical officer for Oak Street. If you don't already know, I mean, Oak Street's a network of primary care practices that's been around since 2012. Currently, they employ about 3,500 people. They have upwards of 100,000 or more patients. They're in different markets like Cleveland, Dallas, and Detroit. They're fast-growing, and they're a bright spot in the value movement. And I couldn't be happier, Dan, to have Griffin on this week and enable the learning about what they're doing and, and helping other organizations apply those same concepts.
1: Eric I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this interview today with Griffin. These guys are prioritizing relationships and and it's such an important message that the relationship and the culture and the values of the organization are really driving the activity. I'm excited to share this opportunity with our listeners.
2: Well, it definitely is true. I mean, Oak Street has become one of the premier value-based care primary care organizations in the country. They are taking full risk with their patient population and they're, they're getting great outcomes. Their providers are invested in their patients, the relationship that's there. And it's, it's just a great story. So let's go ahead and hear more from Griffin as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Dr. Griffin Myers, welcome to the Race to Value. We're so happy to have you this week.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me on behalf of our team at Oak Street. Fun to be here.
2: Well, we've been really looking forward to having you on, Dr. Myers. You know, Oak Street Health is an exemplar in value-based care. There's so many great things happening, and Oak Street has this amazing vision to rebuild healthcare as it should be, personal, equitable, and accountable in other words, you believe in value-based care that's really patient-centered and evidence-based and ensures equal opportunity for good health outcomes across the population. And I can't even imagine that leap of faith you guys took when you led with those values early on in the company and you know when the economics were relatively unproven. And, and I'm just fascinated by the business model. I mean, Oak Street Health takes full risk, global capitation on patients that you serve in some of the poorest and most vulnerable communities. As I understand, the average Oak Street patient is a 69-year-old African woman with six chronic conditions, taking 11 medications, has a high school education, lives alone with about 23000 in income. And 42% of your patients are dual eligible for Medicaid and have complex behavioral and social needs and I believe about a third of your patients are dealing with depression and maybe about 20% have substance use disorder. And in so many words, I mean, it's just a very sick population, yet a global capitation model really allows you to put those premium dollars in play by investing in a high-performing infrastructure. And you wrap this high-touch, relationship-based, tech-enabled primary care model around your patients and really support them. And you, you provide them assistance with medications and transportation, social work and home visits. And as I understand, the sickest 10% of your patients receive almost 80% of Oak Street's dollars in terms of support. So Dr. Myers, I thought as we start our conversation today, I'd love to get your perspective on how a full risk capitation model really allows Oak Street Health to build a personalized care delivery platform
0: you clearly done your homework and that you did describe very well the patient population for whom we have the privilege of caring. And it, it is just that it's a really unique privilege and a really unique opportunity. And I'm sure we'll get into it. But what you described, what sounded like you said, before the economics were proven, what sounded like an insane person's journey. And many people told Mike and Jeff and I, it was an insane person's journey. It turns out, I think that speaks to the value and the magic of these value-based models. So we'll get into that. I think stepping back just a little bit, you know, I always like to remind people how we got here. We got here because a fee for service model was created and it allows us this opportunity, kind of rare in life, not to blame anybody. Nobody wanted to make a janky, inequitable, low quality healthcare system, but we got here because the easiest thing to administratively execute on was this idea that, like, if you as a provider do a service, just send us the bill and we'll pay you. And that turns out to be what a fee for service system is. And, you know, we can get into it if you like, but all of the downstream microeconomics of a model like that give us exactly where we are as a healthcare system. None of us should be surprised. And it means that it's actually not bad people. It's just a bad system. What we need instead is a payment model that aligns with what patients need, and in particular, patient segments, what they need. So we at Oak Street, we have this, like I said, really unique patient population for whom we have the privilege of caring that is epidemiologically defined by exactly what they need. We take care of community dwelling, older adults with multiple chronic conditions and adverse social determinants. That sounds like a mouthful. turns out it's about hundred million people in this country that would probably be better served by a model like ours. And in that patient population, a global cap model is the right one. And that global cap, that full risk globally capitated model is what allowed us to build the platform. The platform's got kind of three layers to it. There's architecture, routines and then a culture. You know, the architecture for us is that we're a center-based model, primarily take care of patients in community-based primary care centers enabled by really robust proprietary technologies and a bunch of services that are primary care sort of plus primary care with a capital P. It's all the stuff that, you know, makes sense to integrate into primary care, but that's the architecture. And then we have a whole bunch of routines that sit underneath that architecture things like longitudinal primary care, population management, population health interventions. And then the thing, lastly, that I think a lot of people skip over, which is really crucial, is the culture. Because people don't show up to work to get paychecks. We say that we do. We get up every day looking for meaning. And, and our culture allows us to pursue that mission of rebuilding health care as it should be. And so now we've got this platform at Oak Street that we can, in a very sort of metaphorical way, load patients and caregivers on to that platform to deliver results. And it's all really powered by that global cap model, which is aligned with epidemiologically what our patient population needs.
1: Griffin, thank you so much for that overview. I really appreciate it. I want to continue the conversation by discussing the results that Oak Street Health has had over the years, which have truly been outstanding. Uh, The company's demonstrated and ability to rapidly scale, expanding its model to a network of 90 centers in 15 states. The platform, as you mentioned, is redefining primary care by bringing technology-enabled value-based care to the seniors that represent, as you and Eric have discussed, the highest proportion of healthcare spending in the country. And your reimagined approach to caring for a patient population with a high prevalence of chronic conditions through a purpose-built platform has really shown to improve outcomes and satisfaction. For our listeners out there, I'll run through a few statistics and results. Oak Street had reduced hospital admissions among its patients by 50%, reduced emergency department visits by 52%, reduced 30-day readmissions by 35%, achieved five-star quality ratings, and tallied a 91% net promoter score. And let's put the net promoter score into perspective for our listeners. The healthcare industry average is at a three. And if the NPS is higher than 30, that would indicate your company is doing a great job, outstanding, and has far more happy customers than unhappy ones. And at this point, you're in Apple territory. And so an NPS over 70 means your customers love you and your company is generating a lot of positive word of mouth from their referrals. And anything over 90 is truly in the stratosphere. What I think is so awesome about the Oak Street platform is it's really this opportunity to be relationship-based where each PCP is capped at four to 500 patients compared to a typical 3,000 patient panel managed by PCPs elsewhere. And it allows the sickest patients to receive the majority of the center's energy and resources. And your centers are more than just clinics. They're there for the entire community. The platform fosters the social connection that people need outside of the clinical visit. You know, you offer bingo, Spanish classes, speed dating for seniors and groups for knitting and movies and computer coding. And Griffin, we saw that you recently were quoted in Bloomberg as saying, the challenge is not providing treatment, but winning patients' trust and building relationships. And all of these things are so integral to what you're doing there. So I'm hoping, can you explain how Oak Street is able to practice the relationship-based care where physicians and staff can form these bonds with patients, see them frequently, and how does that improved relationship with patients improve social determinants of health?
0: You know, your, your question was really around relationships. And, you know, I said in my sort of previous remarks, fee for service medicine creates transactions. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Global capitation full risk models create the, the focus there is outcomes. A core input to outcomes is relationships. Again, I was just like, push us back to first principles. We always knew in the healthcare system, what was most important. We've always known it is relationship between the patient and that person's provider. And when you have that trust, then you can engage in behavior change. If you think about it, we spend well under 1% of our life in front of our Primary care doc or our doctors in general, but we're expected to change physiology for the entire hundred percent that we're alive, and that's really what medicines are good for. Is we're hoping people eat pills so that we can change their physiology when they're not in front of us. The only way to do that is relationships, and you know, I, I made a previous remark about meaning. It always reminds me. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read this, the Victor Frankel book, A Man's Search for Meaning, but you know, we shouldn't be tricked into this idea that life is about maximizing pleasure. It, it's about maximizing meaning. And these relationships are deeply meaningful. It's what patients want, it's what doctors and nurse practitioners and primary care providers want. And, and really, those relationships are built on trust. That connection comes on trust. And trust is what allows us to educate and engage patients to create behavior change, which leads to better outcomes. So you, you made a quick little remark in there about social determinants of health. This trust is, you know, I and we believe really the core input to us being able to help patients navigate adverse social determinants. So the question is, how do we do it at Oak Street? Lots of stuff. If you made me bucket it, and I would say number one is just more time and a consistent longitudinal presence with the same care team every time you're there. I think the second is, We have this really deep sense of accountability, not just full economic risk and accountability, but we make a promise to our patients and their families and our communities that we're not there to transact a visit, we're there to deliver an outcome. And so, frankly, another way of saying is, intentions are not the same as outcomes. And and I'm not at all uh, judging individuals who practice in a fee for service model. Again, it's a set of, I think the technical term is stupid, uh, stupid incentives to transact with patients rather than care for them. And we have this accountability. And I think the third is is recognizing the criticality of providing culturally competent care, you know, having people who live in the neighborhoods in which we serve and share a cultural connection can form bonds and trusted relationships. And listen, I love talking about NPS net promoter score because our team's crushed it at Oak Street. And I think that's a key result for us to focus on. I think there's a lot in there we can dig into. But I do think that that trust in those relationships is what drives that. I like to think about it this way. If technology is is using knowledge and wisdom to apply to solve problems for humans, a value-based model is simply superior technology. And I'm not often in the business of martial metaphors, but it is gun to a knife fight when it comes to competing on quality, experience, and equity with fee-for-service models. Fee-for-service medicine is is frankly just an inferior technology. And we're going to show that if we're not already showing that. And the implication of that's what's really powerful and really interesting. Value-based models have a functioning price mechanism. Economists love when resources are allocated to their marginal highest and best use. And our value-based model allows us to invest in things that incubate and foster relationships because those relationships work in driving outcomes. And so I foresee a real polarization in the marketplace between value-based models and those that either resist or are incapable of converting that way and remain fee-for-service. I think the second implication therefore is patients vote with their feet. And we should be able to see, I think as we are beginning to see outcomes improve in those value-based models. And then the third is, is frankly, and I don't mean to like provoke people, but we have a superior technology and technologies that don't support the building of trust and relationships and improving outcomes that are transactional. They're inferior and we get to watch what happens to those. And and it sort of reminds me, this is not a one-time deal. We should not prepare for this to be quick. And the the quote that I like to use with, with our team, you know, we want to see a higher quality, a safer, more equitable, a more affordable healthcare system is the great John Lewis quote, which is try to be the pilot light, not the firecracker. Let's hang around. Let's do this work every day. And we do it long enough. We're going to see the change we want to see in our healthcare system.
2: Well, Griffin, that really inspires me. And I think my inspiration from Oak Street began a few years ago. I attended a executive education session at HBS in Boston. And I saw Jeff Price speak and present on a case study. And, you know, you mentioned how value-based care is really a superior technology. And, you know, your company has been a pioneer in kind of the, this new way of really delivering relationship-based primary care and improving outcomes in a way beyond the transactional type of relationships that we have in a predominant fee-for-service model But when I read that case study a few years ago, one of the things that really stood out to me was how Oak Street activates a care team and enables that relationship through a really sophisticated technology infrastructure. And I'd like to dive into that a little bit more and how technology is connecting your multidisciplinary care teams and really activating them in a way to improve patient outcomes and as I understand, each primary care physician and nurse practitioner and medical assistant and care manager that's part of a team, they also share resources. Like, they you know, they have psychiatric social workers, but they also have a data ninja. And I thought that was really cool when I read the case study. But, you know, a ninja, as it's referred to at Oak Street, is someone that is a specialist in clinical informatics and they really ensure that the clinical information is available at the point of care and provides data and support for the team as they huddle and look at the patient population and you guys are so sophisticated when it comes to integrating the data into the day-to-day management of the patients and the workflow of the providers and delivering evidence-based care. And as I understand, Oak Street began with developing its own homegrown suite of population health analytics and technology applications. And that system is called Canopy and it's provides a comprehensive view of both your patients and your target demographic across those medical, behavioral, and social health attributes and uses AI and machine learning. And I recently read that Oak Street won the EHR Innovation Award at the 2021 MedTech Breakthrough Award. So I'm really excited to hear that. I would love to ask you if you could speak to how Oak Street was able to design such a system and how you've used it to optimize physician workflows and support those superior patient outcomes. And then also, you know, if you are using AI-based algorithms to improve the efficiency and efficacy of your uh, population health interventions, I'd love to hear more about that as well and, and, you know, how all that comes together to really improve patient outcomes.
0: I think the first thing that's very cool is that you got to hear Jeff at HBS pre- present the case. He's an HBS grad and it's a treat when he gets to do that. And if you want to know who actually runs Oaks Treat, it's Jeff Bryce. So I'm always fun to hear that you got to hear that that introduction that way. We several years ago wrote up the, the clinical informatics specialist program in the catalyst and... That is a role that is still at Oak Street in a critical role in classic evolution of business fashion. We no longer call those folks ninjas. They're called clinical informatics specialists. And it's right. It's because the role has evolved. And, and frankly, they don't let me close to those programs anymore. So we don't often name things with stupid names like I slash we used to. But I will say I, credit needs to go where it's due. So It's Jeff and, and David Buchanan and Jason Vanityan and the team that have built out Canopy and the reason that the team won that award is the hard work of that, that whole group. So kudos to them. Probably good to just give a little bit of history on EHRs at Oak Street. You know, when we first got started without naming names, just because that would be cruel. We tried to choose kind of a a very early days. First time we saw patients tried to choose a really cute web-based cartoonish EHR and it just didn't work. And in what ended up being a really big, important moment for us pivoted to a more standard back-office-is-sound claims-submitting thing, by no means was beautiful and didn't make workflows easy for our teams, but it allowed us to, frankly, submit claims, share data with health plans, capture clinical information, and just exist. And what we've since learned in our process is EHRs are essentially billing tools. As much as these companies are trying to say otherwise, these are not collaborative platforms that are anything other than being inclusive of billable events. And we just recognize that we do a different thing. We are not in the business of submitting claims. It's not the goal of Oak Street Health. And so we need different technology to help us do that. That's the genesis of Canopy. The way that I think about Canopy for for listeners who are almost certainly not familiar is think about it as the app suite on your iPhone. It's a web-based sort of device agnostic platform that allows us to applicationize the various workflows that we do at Oak Street. And I kind of break it up into three chunks and think about it this way, like three chunks of a value chain. There's data, insight and action. When it comes to data, you know, we use canopy to capture data at the point of care, really with every interaction, whether we're in a visit at home, on the ride that we provide to our patients on the way to the center on the phone, capture lots of data. And we like to think about big data and little data, big data meaning lots of it, and little data meaning really, really highly relevant, highly personal, very timely data that really only we are going to get at Oak Street because we have, as we talked about before deep and long-term relationships with patients. And we're able to ask questions that have, frankly, like the the coefficient in front of that that data point is very high. It's very meaningful and allows us to do really powerful data analysis, which kind of leads to the second part of that three-chunk value flow is insight. So data insight. And that for us is really applying advanced data science, machine learning, and other tools to generate Insights, you know, ones and zeros don't help you understanding what that can teach you. That's how we convert data to insight. And we, interestingly, earlier in the year, published a paper in the the journal Catalyst about a, a machine learning protocol that we built at Oak Street, outperformed the commercial ones we were buying. And it's because we at Oak Street have access to really unique data points that we generate with our patients. That these off-the-shelf engines aren't anticipating us having, and allow us to outperform them, and frankly identify who's at risk better and more quickly than than other algorithms. And it was fun to publish that because, frankly, it shares the value that you have in in primary care and the value of those relationships in a really interesting way. But after you have data, and after you've generated insight, then you know, the most important part is take action. And so Canopy is the platform we use to share insights across teams in one source at the point of care so that our teams can take action, whether they're at the bedside, on the phone, at home. And that's really where we're focused now is on applicationizing those workflows so that our teams know kind of exactly what to do with the insight generated from the data we have. You'd asked about artificial intelligence. And I find whenever I get asked that, people are thinking about all different kinds of things. So just probably worthwhile to like separate machine learning and artificial intelligence. From our standpoint, machine learning is about insight. It's using data, then doing non-hypothesis-driven analysis to generate correlations and find meaning in that data. And, and you kind of refer to that catalyst paper we published to get a little better sense of what we mean there. Artificial intelligence is really about action, driving behavior and workflows to make for a higher quality, safer, more accurate care delivery experience. I think the best example there is we applicationized what we call inpatient review, which is when our primary care teams in the center round on their inpatients virtually. So when our patients are in the hospital, we went through a meta-analysis and there's a table in that paper that frankly highlighted all the things that have been shown to have a positive impact on reducing readmissions. We created essentially an interactive checklist that provided all the data we would need to run that checklist. And we just ran sort of a cohort study. We gave that application to some teams and we didn't give it to others. And then we did it over time doing a cross control study and found that that application alone reduced readmissions by about 15%. And it's really by again, data insight action, just getting the team, the insight they need from the data, at the point of care to do what's right. And I think that really is what drives the results that we see at Oak street, you know, a, 50-something percent reduction in hospital admissions relative to really sound counterfactuals of 40-something percent reduction in 30-day readmissions and another about 50% reduction in ED visits. And it all comes from this idea that by structuring things and using technology that's built around what we do at Oak Street, we're able to deliver those results.
1: Griffin, I want to shift us a little bit towards another topic that's been on the minds of many, especially during this uh, time period. Of COVID and disparities. And so, as we're thinking about the populations that you serve, the most vulnerable in our society, we're talking about health equity and reducing disparities. And, and at this time, we've got these historical events clashing together at one. We've got this catastrophic public health crisis and a resultant economic fallout from the COVID 19 pandemic. And it's coming together in this plight of racial injustice in our society. The connective tissue which bound the pandemic with the protests is this institutional racism. And contrary to what commentators chose to discuss, you know, marches against inequality do not threaten the African-American community's health nearly as much as the inequality that already existed in U.S. medicine. So the public health data is, is irrefutable on the point, and I know you recognized that early on when you built Oak Street to be personable, equitable, and accountable. And thinking about the systemic racism as a public health crisis, last summer, Oak Street Health joined three dozen other Chicago-based healthcare organizations to do more to overcome health disparities in minority communities and ensure greater health equity across the city, which is so desperately needed given that there's a decades-wide gap in life expectancy between affluent, mostly white neighborhoods and poor, mostly black Southside neighborhoods that are just a few miles away. So Oak Street's already taken a lead role in equitable vaccination efforts, and you've administered more than 150,000 total COVID-19 vaccine doses across 12 states to moderate and low socioeconomic neighborhoods. I'd be interested to hear you speak to the work that Oak Street is doing to ensure health equity and build trust in the African-American communities and providing culturally relevant care and recognizing that data and AI, as you've been talking about, are such a big piece of this. You know, how are you ensuring that you've got the right data to help these decisions?
0: I think to start, it's just really important to say, because, you know, we talk about companies and big companies and what companies think and feel. And that's true. But I'll tell you, Mike and and Jeff and I, who founded the organization, all of us are still Oak Street and and frankly, the whole team, the point and a core value was around health equity. I I can certainly share my story. I am uh, I'm not a, a primary care doc by training. I'm an emergency doc by training, and I am one who passed out cold the first two times he went into a trauma bay. But I did that and I chose that field because I love the idea that I could take care of patients in the emergency department because we have Mtala in this country, which means they don't have to pay us. They're going to get care and we're going to do our best. And, and that was deeply meaningful to me and drove my career choice into emergency medicine. And then recognizing that we could keep a lot of people out of the emergency department by investing up front in the things that we all know make sense to keep them out of there. That's where Oak Street came from. And I think if, if listeners understand anything about Oak Street is the depth and authenticity of, of those values for myself, Mike, Jeff our whole executive leadership team and really everybody top to bottom at Oak Street. You can't work at Oak Street if that's not something that wakes you up in the morning. I also think it's worth saying is if you understand value-based models, you have to understand that, that health disparities are the opportunity. Revenue is price times quantity. In a fee-for-service model, your price is really your patient mix. You, you want to get the highest price and do the highest paying things you can do. And you like doing it from low market share commercial insurers who pay high prices versus others like Medicaid that do not. And you want to do as many things as possible. That's your price times quantity. For us at Oak Street, in a fully value-based model, our price is how sick is somebody today? How well can we make them? That delta is the price and the quantity is how many people in that community do we have the privilege of serving? And if you multiply those two things together, if you can build a community of patients and take people with a lot of suffering and reduce their suffering, that's how you maximize in that equation. That's really important to know, because it's not just about business performance. It What it's saying is the underlying microeconomics of these value-based models give us at Oak Street a chance to do something really special by solving the biggest problems, and it's downhill. Now, the third piece is, obviously, I don't want to discount the importance, you know, focused in your question a lot about the African-American population, which is a huge focus for us at Oak Street, but I'd broaden it to include all people of color, all underserved communities, many of which have different cultural backgrounds. And I say that because the diversity of our team really reflects that focus our mission in normal non-covid times and I'm happy to speak a little bit about covid you kind of pushed me to think a little bit about how are we deliberate about addressing health equity and and being successful in that mission outside of simply our value based model i'd say three things i think number one is you have to be super local we we are in our communities on street corners not in medical office complexes that's something we should probably come back to because i think it's important The second thing in that be locals like partner with local groups with local faith based organizations with housing authorities and governments and create those relationships so that people know the problems you're trying to solve. After being local, the second thing you want to do is hire and be highly focused on cultural competence. There's really good peer-reviewed literature that shows patients who receive care from a care team that share their cultural backgrounds, experience better outcomes. A super important thing that we're very deliberate about. It's worth saying that last time we checked this, over 80% of teams in our centers live in the communities and the neighborhoods that we serve. So it gives us, uh, frankly, a real important access to this cultural wisdom and cultural experience that, um, listen, all of us have some of it, and none of us have all of it. And it's super important that our teams can reflect those whom we get to serve. And I think the third is you have to prioritize this, and it has to be very deliberately reflected in your values. You have to make real investments. I mean, I think about us at Oak Street with our Juneteenth celebrations and all of the work our teams do outside of their work at Oak Street to volunteer in the community. And this is where having frank discussions and taking stands matters. Corporatizing communication nonsense, people feel that, and it's not taking sides. I mean, you, you brought Jeff up earlier. Some of the most proud moments of my time at Oak Street is Jeff's all-company emails, clarifying our very taking one side company positions on the events of last year on encouraging people to do their civic duty and get out and participate and vote and stand up for what our values are at oak street and seeing those not every organization has the courage to do that and doesn't have the leadership and i I mean this is where every time i see uh, an email like that come out i'm more proud of what we've done at oak street to take a stand that this is really our value and and, and it's who we are within covid i mean again i think it's hopefully it's clear now that equitable healthcare has been a priority for us well before COVID. And we put ourselves in a position to be a part of the solution. Then certainly COVID exacerbated those disparities that we've all known to exist. And what's really elegant about our model is, you know, we had a giant global infectious threat to the species focused on low income people of color and older adults. And that's exactly who we get to take care of. And we were right there, ready to do it in March. We, we, Gosh, we transitioned over 90% of our visits to telehealth to be able to keep people at home until we could figure out how to get them back in the center. We did over 50,000, if I remember correctly, proactive wellness calls to just check on people. We converted our fleet of vans that usually bring patients to and from appointments to deliver food, medical, household supplies. We did like, I don't know, over 8,000 of those deliveries, stood up community testing, not just for Oak Street patients, but really for the community partnership with many of the cities that we work with. You mentioned a number before. I checked this morning. No, we're going to talk about this today. We've delivered over 185,000 vaccines across our communities. That's us getting out and just doing work in the community we wouldn't otherwise have to do. It's because we're there. And this is nights and weekends. And I can tell you, I had the privilege of showing up multiple weeknights in a row after work just to give vaccines because frankly, everybody else that he was doing and I had to do it too. And it was a really unique privilege. So hopefully that gives you a sense of who we are and how important this is. And, and the cool thing is that, as I said before, we have this better technology in value-based models that allows us to really go live our values.
2: Well, it's a better technology and it, and it's backed by that purpose, You know, to be personal and equitable and accountable. And I just commend You and the team for building a platform that was ahead of its time, you know, the rest of the industry is, you know, to the point you were making awakening now, you know, coming out of this infectious, you know, pandemic that showcased a lot of these inequities. I mean, we all knew they were there, but it never was really spotlighted in a way where there was a call to action. I think there's a lot to learn that our listeners are going to be interested in hearing about, you know, what Oak Street has done over the years to really address health equity. And, you know, one of the other things that's really come out of the pandemic in terms of raised awareness is this issue of behavioral health in in our country. I mean, it's a crisis right now. The stats are, you know, pretty alarming when you look at it. I mean, I believe it's about one in five. Americans, about 51 million people are living with a behavioral health condition. And there's uh, about 20 million individuals in the US that have a substance use disorder. And 4% of the population, about 9 million people, are having suicidal thoughts. And with all of that, you have these mental health, substance abuse issues. And then you have things that are compounded with unpaid caregivers and minority populations being vulnerable. We're coming out of a pandemic. That really created a lot of social isolation. We have just such immense challenges also in addressing behavioral health in our country with the shortage of providers. And I know on the primary care side, 70% of the primary care appointments from what I've read include problems with significant psychosocial issues. Yet less than half of those patients typically receive any mental health treatment at all because of the shortage of providers. So Griffin, I'm just thinking about this long-standing mental health crisis that we have in our country that, as I mentioned, has really been exacerbated by these major social stressors with the, the COVID pandemic and the racial inequality. Primary care, I think we all realize, is that tip of the spear. And I wanted to ask you if you could share with our listeners your perspective on how we should achieve better integration of behavioral health in the primary care environment.
0: One of the things that Mike, our CEO and, and co-founder, always says is people ask what the secret is at Oak Street. And in reality, is there's no secret. Like we tell people very transparently exactly what we do. Uh, the problem is it's just very, very hard. And behavioral health is one of those things that is uniquely challenging, frankly, in a very human way, is very messy. I mean, doing behavioral health well speaks to us as humans, not just as patients or collections of diseases. And, and there's some part of me as I just observe the healthcare system as it is that, you know, nobody seems to want to do this very well. And and it reminds me, you know, there's the the old Persian poet Rumi, he has this, this quote that I think about a lot when we talk about behavioral health, which is keep your gaze on the bandaged place, because that's where the light enters you. And it's this idea that like, So many other people want to look away from the suffering we see. And this is a real source of suffering. And it's, as Mike says, it's really hard work, it's really complicated, and it requires a new mindset as to what it means to care for patients. It's not just medicine. Once you embrace that, that you have to look at the bandage place, it's not just medicine, it's behavioral health, it's social support, and then at some point, medicine. For us at Oak Street, the team that that has built out our behavioral health program studied the the peer-reviewed literature called the impact model, which is essentially a study that showed when you integrate behavioral health into primary care versus have the same behavioral health services, but it's not integrated, it is inferior, meaning it is superior to have it integrated. So for us at Oak Street, every one of our care teams has a behavioral health specialist the the profile of which is a typically a licensed clinical social worker they know our patients very very well and are are immediate members of our care teams and for folks who spend time with our behavioral health specialists they can escalate typically very specific types of cases to an in-house psychiatry service including a telepsychiatry service and we do unique and and focused reporting on outcomes related to behavioral health, precisely so that our entire care team, not just the behavioral health team, is aware of of what's going on. I think it's a really important thing for us to recognize now. And I don't know that this is a secret anymore. It's been published for a while, but essentially when you invest in, in behavioral health in a patient population like ours, the savings don't come because you're reducing behavioral health admissions. What you're actually doing is you're equipping a human being with behavioral illness to now manage the other challenges in life, the other cl- clinical conditions that they may suffer from. And so when you invest in behavioral health, you actually save downstream on the cost related to, to managing organic illness. And so it, it makes sense then on the back end why this integrated model works. It's something that I'm particularly proud of because as Mike has said, um, this is the hard work that not a lot of people seem to wanna look at doing and it, it is, Uh, very real and deep human suffering that we at Oak Street had the opportunity to to serve our patients in because of that value-based model. And frankly, because of the wisdom and experience of our care teams and our behavioral health specialists, especially.
1: Griffin, let's talk a little bit about your employees and their their being mission-driven. And you talked about how if they don't believe in your values that they don't work at Oak Street. And let's talk about how they go above and beyond to support their coworkers and patients. And And they work as a team and across disciplines to rebuild health care as it should be. And your culture was built with great intentionality and is highly structured and hyper-focused in executing on a population health playbook that keeps patients healthy and happy and out of the hospital. I'm curious, how were you able to build such a culture and then replicate it across expansion markets? What's your approach to workforce development and value-based care and what programs have you developed to attract best-in-class teams and provide the necessary training to foster professional development? If you could speak to it, I'd love to hear about satisfaction, physician, clinician satisfaction, and, and any comments that you have on what's been plaguing a lot of professionals in the industry lately, which is that burnout issue.
0: You're right. This always starts with values. You mentioned before, uh, we thought that rebuilding healthcare, as it should be, would be three things. It should be Personal meaning evidence-based, it should be equitable, meaning everybody should get that evidence-based standard and it should be accountable, meaning we as providers should not thrive until and after our patients thrive. And you know we do, we talk about what it means to be Oki okay, and listen, we're not brainwashing people. When you ask most people, they want personal, equitable and accountable healthcare. And so it means there's a lot of people who want to come do this work. But for us, we've clarified very, very deliberately. And we say it internally, we say it externally, that being OK means creating an unmatched patient experience, driving clinical excellence, taking ownership and delivering results, being scrappy, which is back to our heritage as entrepreneurs, radiating positive energy and assuming good intentions. There's a lot of people who, who share those things. We insist on those things, but it's not, a, it's not a hard sell. A lot of people want to take care of their neighbors in that way. And that's what we get to do. When you ask about workforce development, that's a big team. We have a very, probably a little bit too big a topic, but I in particular focused a lot on supporting the group of, of providers, physicians, and nurse practitioners and the like at Oak Street. I think first is we think about it across the life cycle. We're hiring hundreds of primary care providers every year now. And that life cycle starts with a stranger with a medical license who knows nothing about us. And we have to walk them all the way through, through the process of getting to know us, recruiting them to join us at Oak Street, onboarding them onto our team, supporting their day-to-day practice, investing in their development in a whole bunch of different ways. And frankly, that hopefully results in the last chunk, which is they decide to stay at Oak Street Retention. When it comes to recruiting, that's really about building relationships that are focused on values and helping people really get to know us the opportunity for them personally, but also for impact the number one question i ask people when they're when they're interviewing as clinicians is what did you write on your medical school application essay because whatever you wrote you don't even have to tell me what you wrote Because if you're interviewing here and you want to go back and do that again, you can do that here. And that tends to be the sell at Oak Street. And once people join us, then we're sort of in this onboarding process where we in many ways are having to reteach people how to do what they do because it it is materially different. So we're very structured about it, focused on supporting clinicians on how to work on a team because that's very, very different. And also, frankly, developing the leadership skills to lead in team-based care. Obviously, there's other little stuff around learning the Technology and those kind of things, but but it's far focused largely on how are you going to be a part of leading a care team. And then once somebody's at Oak Street, we support them with Canopy and their workflows. Do a lot of work. We were one of the very very few practices that was awarded the the American Medical Association's Joint Medicine Accreditation not too long ago. So we measure in a whole bunch of different ways what the provider experience is like, and we report that back very transparently. So I can come back to that. But after somebody's been there, sort of the fourth part of this life cycle is on investing. In our team's development. We shut the practice down a few times a year and have grand rounds. We're really excited to get back to doing that in person, hopefully very soon. Do a lot of in-house CME and our partners with Northwestern University in in offering CME accreditation to our team. Do a lot of in-house leadership and development work. And, And frankly, this is one of the cool things, not to be too morbid, but in most healthcare settings, if you want to advance in your career, you need somebody to either retire or die. That's not how we are at Oak Street. I keep telling people, and people don't believe me until they've been at Oak Street for a couple of years, we're going to continue to grow at a, at a really strong clip. And the number one thing that we need is enlightened Clinician leadership. And so, for clinicians that join, investing in their leadership trajectory is really, really important. And the thing that's very beautiful is we have a provider team that reflects the underlying diversity of the patient population whom we get to serve. And even as beautiful is we have a clinical leadership team of medical directors that reflects that underlying diversity as well. And that comes from that investment in development and leadership training we make at Oak Street. And then I think the last is really about retention, which kind of allows me to speak to your previous comment around physician satisfaction. A few ways to talk about this. We we do blinded surveys at, at Grand Rounds. We actually do it on paper so that people can fill it out and turn it in and we don't actually know who filled it out. And that's how we know that uh, we're getting real answers. Over 95% of our physicians say that they would recommend Oak Street Health as a place to their residency colleagues to practice medicine. And I don't know that there's really any bigger validation than that. Perhaps turnover numbers, right? Our, our physician turnover is well under half of the national average. And it shouldn't be zero. Not everybody is is going to be fit for the Oak Street model. It's a very, very hard job. But I think those two things come together to really show that if you're focused on people's values, number one, and you really invest in their development, that is what's going to drive outcomes. And it's what's going to drive retention satisfaction. And so by no means do I want to send a signal that uh, we've solved this problem. We haven't something that I and the team are obsessed with, but I think we're off to a, a really good start. And it's something that I'm personally really excited to invest in because I say to myself pretty regularly, if we can make Oak Street the best place to receive care and the best place to give care, then we're going to get to finish what we started.
2: Well, I I truly love this Oaky culture and what you've all created there, Griffin. I look at the current fee for service system, and it's a system that's, you know, each organization that's chasing that volume and on the hamster wheel, they're really thinking about themselves and their own needs. But your culture is really about the values of your organization, which, which is really focused on improving outcomes and creating relationships. And, you know, there's so many trends that are happening in our industry right now in value-based care. And I want to think about this in terms of other organizations that are looking to adopt a similar culture and make a pivot into global capitation and and more consumer-centric solutions. But we talked a little bit about how the pandemic raised awareness around inequities in the system and how it also maybe bubbled up, I guess, heightened awareness around behavioral health issues. But one of the other things I think that happened, we all saw this during the pandemic was that patients gravitated towards virtual care. They leaned into telemedicine. Organizations saw how that could be an appropriate way to engage patients and not have to always see the whites of their eyes and address their needs where they are in their home. And there's so many trends now happening, Griffin. As you know, in the industry, you have retail care delivery from these big corporate giants, like Amazon and Walmart and everyone's getting in the game there. We have this trend towards consumerism, which includes that digital component that I mentioned earlier. And a lot of this is obviously going to cause upheaval in the traditional healthcare venues. And I just wanted to get your take on what you're reading into the current landscape right now when it comes to value-based care and where the confluence of all these different trends, where that ultimately is going to culminate into something that's going to move this forward in terms of improving patient outcomes. I mean, certainly Oak Street is out there and replicating its model, but I know other other organizations are trying to figure out how to make sense of the environment. I'd love to get your perspective on that.
0: Telemedicine is a product, not a solution. While you're right, it was an incredibly powerful tool that allowed us to do a lot during the pandemic. I, I just, I think it's like worth reminding is that the only thing that could get us to use this at scale was like people, governments, common sense, and infectious disease leadership telling us not to leave our homes. That was the impetus that was required. So, you know, it's sort of like I I heard this week that there's like a new mac and cheese flavor of ice cream. Like if you took away all other options, I would try it, but otherwise I'm not going to try it. I think it's like a really important thing for us to remember about telemedicine in most settings, because it allows us to recognize like where it is a really powerful tool and where it's not. And I think to understand where it's a really powerful tool, we have to segment. So the idea that we can take a photo of a rash and get a board-certified dermatologist to partner with us on solving that, which we do at Oak Street, to prevent a patient from having to get a referral and pay a $45 copay and find a way to get herself to that dermatologist, we can just get an answer at the point of care. That's a really, really big deal. I am less compelled by the idea that we could do a one-off urgent care visit for somebody who's not that sick and find that to be like an important uh, advance in care delivery because I don't find it that way. And I don't think anybody finds it that way. So I'm very optimistic about using telemedicine where it is clinically and epidemiologically a way to either improve cost, improve quality or improve experience. If it's not oriented towards that and it's used for some other revenue generation purpose, then I think we should look at it for what it is. It's a product that may not have a solution behind it. That being said, I'm super optimistic that we at OakTree continue to use telemedicine in certain venues, even after the pandemic when patients can come in. But we've also run the experiment of what happens when you can't see people in person. And there's a reason we've gone back to seeing people in person. So I think that this is a far more subtle answer than frankly what I hear about it at most conferences or what I get in my white papers in my inbox and delete every two weeks. Uh, on the comment of retail this is a fascinating one to me because I think retail medicine is a recognition that the current system in many ways is built upon what's easiest for providers and not on patients this idea of medical office complexes we make it easy for doctors and providers to congregate and work together rather than what's easier for patients which is largely to be in a retail setting in the community in the neighborhood or in their home and I just find that really fascinating and again I should obviously also say we at Oak Street have a partnership with Walmart and have Oak Street centers in multiple Walmart locations, it's something we're super excited about, but I think it's just worth saying that's out there. I think that tells you that we have a real thesis as we did before those, those centers, that being in the community is a really important part of this. And I get really excited when I see us making ourselves as delivery system uncomfortable in a way that allows our patients to be more comfortable. That is real value creation. And the way for us to figure out how to do that at scale uh, in a way that's reproducible, affordable, culturally competent is is really important. And that's why I think retail is an opportunity for us. And you know, in sort of your last comment you're talking about about impact, you know, I think that's probably the piece that's most underappreciated about the work that our teams do is we are building communities of patients taking measurably better care of them and are able to use that to fund the expansion of a model that we think should exist. And you talked about the future. I mean, how beautiful is it that we now have a space in this country where organizations are putting blood, sweat, tears, and capital into competing to go build trust and relationships with vulnerable low-income members of our community so that we can take better care of them. And and there's something about that, that I just think after everything we talked about today, that should be the piece that we celebrate. Certainly I'd love to celebrate Oak Tree because it feels good because we started it, but there are a whole bunch of organizations out there now competing to take better care of people in a way that we hadn't seen before. And if you are optimistic about the healthcare system as I am, this is probably reason number one.
2: Well, Griffin, those comments really resonated with me, and in particular, celebrating the optimism of the moment and what we have as an industry to pursue this race to value for for the reason why we're here in healthcare, which is really that sense of altruism and improving outcomes. And I wanted to, you know, ask you. You mentioned earlier the man search for meaning by Victor Frankel, and you know that's such an important book around you know finding purpose in life. And you know there was a quote that he had in his book about everything can be taken from from a man, but one thing, and that's the last of the human freedoms, and that's to choose your own attitude in any given set of circumstances, to really choose your own way. And, you know, Griffin, I can. Think of no better way to end our uh, conversation today is just really thinking about the optimism for the future. And certainly there's optimism you know, from a lot of us when, they, when we look at the results of Oak Street and the great work that you're doing. But I, I, I wanted to see if you could provide maybe your perspective on you know, how healthcare leaders should be thinking about the future and in terms of value-based care and the direction we're going.
0: I, lo- I love that quote, and I love that book. And I'm a reckless optimist. I believe that we have the ability to to manifest the changes we want to see. And I think that the majority, you know, despite the way that it's positioned for us in whatever media we consume, that we as a country and we as people want a, a higher quality, safer, more equitable, more affordable healthcare system. And it's out there for us. And I think we have made really, really, really substantial progress over the last 15 years on this people ask me a lot, like how far into the journey are we? And, you know, and they often put it in a sports analogy. They say, what inning are we in? And everybody's expecting me to say first or second. I think it's like the seventh. And I think that's probably really good news. If you're, if you're where we are at Oak Street, I think it's really bad news. uh, If you're still waiting for the game to get going, we know how these things are going to play out. Now we know how they're going to work and we know what to do to deliver this model. And our job at Oak Street is to go scale it. So I'm optimistic because we've got a model that works, the the really thoughtful and enlightened career public service at CMS who are building these programs for us in direct contracting and other things, they've got a model that, that aligns with that. And the best thing I can say is is like, let's take a deep breath, remember who we are, what we want to do, and let's go attack this problem. Because once you begin to see what the results can be, as as we get to do at Oak Street, it's infectious in a good way. And I'm optimistic that we're going to get to serve a whole lot more people in a model that fits what they need way better. Well,
2: that's sage advice, Griffin. I couldn't agree more. And I just want to thank you again for joining us this week on the podcast. Dr. Griffin Myers, Oak Street Health, such a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks
0: for having me on behalf of the whole team and uh phone to be with you, Bill.